for a number of weeks together in the book of Titus. Titus. And we're going to be walking through uh, the next number of weeks through the entire letter together, uh, considering a portrait of a healthy church. Now, uh, before we jump into the text this morning, I, I want to begin by asking you a question, and that is this. How many of you brought your own copy of God's Word to church this morning? Can I see it? Would you hold it up? Hold it up real high. If you, if you have your own copy, you brought church, good. Now, you can put it back down for a second. Now, let me ask you a question. I want you to think about some of you this morning, you have a copy of God's Word, either uh, in paper or uh, digitally. But I want to ask you a question. How, how many copies of God's Word do you own? I want you to stop and just kind of think through your house and where your items and your belongings are. How many, how many of you have more than one copy of God's Word? Can I see your hand? Now look around the room for just a second. I want you to look around the room. I want you to think about that in comparison to a statistic that were given by Withcliffe uh, Global Alliance. Uh, they shared in their Global Scripture Access Statistics a report provided uh, in 2022 out of 724, 724 languages have, Wycliffe uh, tells us, a full Bible, meaning 724 languages have a complete copy of God's Word, the Old and the New Testaments. And, and the people that have access to a full copy of God's Word is, is estimated 5.9 billion people. That's a lot of people that have access to the Bible. But that would also mean that there is 1.4 billion people using over 5,000 languages that do not have a copy of God's Word in their first language. Meaning they may have a second language that they know and they can read the Bible from, but as far as in their uh, first language, 1.4 billion people do not have a full Bible. Now they may have a portion, they may have the New Testament or the Old Testament or sections of Scripture, but when we think about the global landscape of the church today and as we think about the global landscape of our world, we, we think about that 20% of the world's population, over 75% of the languages don't have a full access to the complete Bible in their first language. You know, as, as I read that statistic this week, it really caught me off guard. And it just made me stop and think about the Bible that I've been given, the opportunity that I've received to have a copy of God's Word and a complete copy of it is a precious gift precious gift. I wonder, when was the last time you thought about your Bible in that way? You know, uh, Richard's about ready to leave and go to Uganda in a few weeks, and I had the great privilege a couple years ago to go with him, um, and we went back in 2019 and did some pastor conferences and villages, and, and I remember part of the trip, people had given money in the States to buy new Ugandan Bibles, and as we entered into a remote village, a village that didn't even have running water or electricity, I remember going onto the island and as we brought this box of Bibles for this pastor's conference and we had this great privilege to hand out Bibles to these pastors, the reality was many people who were gathered at that conference that day did not have a copy of God's Word. In fact, even some of the pastors that were there that day did not have a copy of God's Word. And so when we think about that, 
I want you to think about where you're seated at this morning and the situation that you find yourself is actually very different from other portions and places in the world this morning. I think about another one of our mission staff and missions partners in Southeast Asia. And as we think about the, the limited access in some of those areas for, for Bibles, I, I want you to think about all of that and, and, and then think about, too, uh, the history of the church. As we survey the history of the church and as we think back uh, through what we are given and historians have shared with us, in fact, most disciples throughout the, the world uh, did not have their own copy of God's Word. Many Christians uh, throughout the history of the world and even today, they gather with other Christians to hear someone read it. That's the way it is, in fact, a large part of the world today. So this morning, we're jumping into a new sermon series in the book of Titus. And, and as we do that, I, I want us to continue as we work through a book like this to kind of flip the script, as it were, um, from where we are and where other people are in other places around the world. Rather than having you open your own Bible this morning or see the scripture projected overhead, I'm going to read for us uh, the sermon. A large portion of the sermon is going to be reading the entire book of Titus. Now, some of you are like, how long is Titus? Well, it's just three chapters if you've already sneak peeked in your Bible. But it is our custom here, and, and, and I want you to hear that. Some of you are visiting this morning. You're like, we're not going to open your Bibles? N no, but that is our custom. Every Sunday, I typically begin a sermon by saying, now please open your Bibles with me too, and I tell you where we're going. So that we read it, explain it, and apply it into our lives. But this morning, we're going to hear a, a message preached for us, really, from the Apostle Paul as he instructs Titus in this letter. Now, Titus is one of the three pastoral epistles. Anybody know the other two? What do you think? What's another pastoral epistle in the Bible? Timothy. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, they form for us the pastoral epistles. The word epistle is just a word that means letter. And so these are the three letters that were directed in the New Testament to pastors, but they were not directed only to the pastor. They were directed to the pastor so that it would bless and impact the church. In fact, Paul tells Timothy in another pastoral epistle that part of his responsibility as a pastor is to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. So we all understand what we're doing this morning is commanded. But when you open up your Bible and you look past the Gospels and the work in Acts, there are 21 letters in the New Testament. Many of those letters were written to Christian communities of churches some were written to individuals, but they were all written to regions of areas of people and churches scattered around uh, the, the empire at the time. And, and what would often take place, as was custom then, is that when one of these letters was written, were written, and it was passed and circulated uh, within churches, that as the church would gather together, there would be this time of that letter being read. And it would be read aloud. Remember, uh, as Paul wrote, you know, the letter to Ephesians, he didn't make manuscript copies for every person in the congregation. Uh, he wrote a letter uh, to the pastor, many believe Timothy, and as Timothy would gather the church together and, and read uh, from the book of Ephesians there in Ephesus, and then that letter also, as scripture, would be passed around to other churches. And so this is how the New Testament uh, in, large, in large portion was, was uh, shaped and formed. Because most people didn't have a personal copy of God's word. In fact, what you have this morning is, I would say, 
uh, in fact, somewhat rare around the world today. So this morning, I invite you as, in just a moment as we will hear Titus read for us to, to and here's, here's, the, here's the thing, it, it's going to be actually challenging for you because, because your mind's going to have this tendency to want to wander. And, and, I, and I encourage you this morning as God's word is read that you would just focus your thoughts on, on something as you hear the word read because, because I, I believe, you know, so often in our, in our world today, we take things in these little bite-sized nuggets. We have a tendency to look at a few verses and then even in our personal devotions, we'll work through a few verses and then close the book and we forget that, that the genre of the New Testament, these letters were letters. They were meant to be read in one sitting and that the weight of what is heard, I think sometimes lands on us differently when we hear the whole context of the letter. And so this morning, I pray that you'll just let the water of God's word by his spirit wash over you as you, as you hear this read. And we remember what, what the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, that the word of God is living and active. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so God's word through the ministry of God's spirit is what encourages us. It's what equips us. It's what convicts us. It's what encourages us to press on. So this morning, before I read uh, the letter to Titus, I want you to think about who is this guy and, and what is happening here. Because I understand also we're a little bit, rem- well, not a little bit, we're very much uh, removed from the culture and place and times of where Titus was living and even the, the situation that he found himself in. So as I mentioned, Titus is one of three pastoral epistles, and Paul is writing to a trusted companion. Paul is writing to a trusted associate, a friend named Titus. Now, we don't know a lot about Titus, other than the fact that he was one of the young men who traveled with Paul and was assisting Paul in Paul's missionary work around the Mediterranean world. We know that Titus was a Greek follower, and he was a really a trusted companion of the Apostle Paul. In other places in the New Testament, you'll find his name mission, mentioned, and oftentimes it's kind of in a crisis situation. So what we can pretty much gather from Titus is he was a faithful fellow companion of the Apostle Paul, somebody that Paul trusted, somebody that Paul had a lot of respect for, but also somebody that, 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 that Paul understood could be in a difficult place, and, and he would be able to withstand um, the opposition. So here we find out that Titus is on an island. He is on the island of Crete, and he has been sent there by Paul with the explicit purpose of helping a number of young house churches that had been formed. What many Bible scholars believe is during Paul's missionary journeys, as he would travel around proclaiming the gospel, that new churches would be formed, these new house churches would be planted. But if you know anything about the church planting method, of the Apostle Paul, you understand that he would go back and occasionally even in his missionary journeys, he would plan to go back and revisit these churches and to encourage them in their way. And so here Paul is assigning one of these guys, he's assigning Titus to head to Crete to help sure up a number of these young fledgling churches. Now here's the, here's the structure of the book, all right? Just like most letters in the New Testament, it begins with an introduction it ends with a conclusion, and Paul's aim is, is in really the, the, the essence, it's just three chapters in our Bible, but, 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 but the essence of the letter is helping Titus to gain a better understanding of his 
purpose in Crete. And it's really kind of broken down in the chapter headings, and the very beginning of the chapter gives us the driving emphasis of what he is to do. In chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible tells us he is to point godly leaders. He is to appoint godly leaders. Paul says, you're to go and to set in order the things that remain and appoint elders in every town as I've directed you. And so Titus goes with this understanding that he's there to appoint godly leaders who would in turn lead these churches. Secondly, he is to teach. He is to teach these leaders and in turn teach the congregation um, really, what is the portrait of a healthy church? What does a church look like? What, how is a church to be led and formed and shaped and so that they become a certain kind of people, that they would namely become a godly people? And then thirdly, in chapter three, he is to remind them. What is he to remind them? He's to remind them of God's grace. He's to remind them of God's transforming grace, that the grace that has come to them for salvation, that it changes and it ought to change and it does change the way that they live their life and that, and that a right doctrine of God produces a right behavior. And I don't know about you this morning and where you're at, but, but, but whatever for us is our behavior, there is a doctrine, an understanding of God that shapes that. And in, and in our lives, as is happened here in this island of Crete, I believe there was this ever-widening gap between doctrine and their practice, between their belief in God and how they live that out. And so Titus goes to remind the church of God's grace. He reminds them that, that they are to be a people full of good deeds. And it's all packed in to three short chapters. It's actually one of the shortest books in the Bible's in, in the Bible, and, and many scholars believe that Titus was maybe the second to last letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. So, so this is happening uh, later in Paul's life. Many people believe between his first and second imprisonment, and he writes Titus this letter. And I want you to just put yourself in Titus' shoes for a moment and think about what Paul is assigning you. You're thinking about from an apostle you know, this is, this is the task, this is the place you're going. I, I want you to think about how he must have felt when Paul said in verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete. So ideally, Paul had been with him. They had been doing some type of missionary work, and then Paul heads on for another assignment, and then Titus is left behind. And so automatically, this companion, this friend, this, this guy that, man, he has so much confidence uh, with and in the gospel is now moved on and he's left alone there in Crete. And Paul says, hey, this is why I left you there. So why? That you may put what remains into order. And I wonder, has he ever thought about just the churches and the, the great need and, and, and the situation and the, the false teaching that was arising in the church and the persecution he was facing from without? Can you put yourself in Titus' shoes as now he's put in this responsibility to put it all in order, <laughs> you know, make it all look well so that it's what a healthy church that brings honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's to appoint elders and, and leaders in the town. And so the book of Titus, as I've been praying through this the last number of months, early last year, God really burdened my heart for us as a church to walk through a pastoral epistle uh, together on Sunday mornings. I think very much where we are as a church and as we think about where we are as a church and reorganizing for um, what God has for us in this day with our ministries and developing leadership within our church here, 
God just put this letter on my heart for us as a church to walk through. I think this very much goes in line with what we talked about last week and our vision for the year of, of striving to be a healthy church. You know, a, a healthy church is a growing church. But like we talked about last week, not all growing churches are healthy churches. And so in this year, as we're endeavoring as a congregation to be the kind of people that God wants us to be and that this church looks the way that God would have it to look, we, we go through this letter because I think there is so much for us to gather from what Titus is being instructed. But in order for you to understand a deep love for this guy, you have to understand a little bit of the background of the situation in which he was pastoring. He is pastoring in Crete, which is a large island uh, in the Mediterranean Sea. It's, it's the largest and most populous of the Greek islands. And you could go today, look it up online, you can see a, all about that. But the island of Crete in that day, when, when Titus was there, he, Paul even summarizes it in verse 12. He, one of their own philosophers summarized the own city, and this is what was said. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. <laughs> I mean, how would we give descriptives to the Roanoke Valley? How would we give descriptives to the people that live in Catawba? And what was said of their own people is that they are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. We're told from history that the place and the culture was rampant with immorality. It doesn't sound too far-fetched from where we're at today, many of the people on the island, many of the men on the island were mercenary soldiers. They were people who were infamous for treachery. They were infamous for greed. They were liars, beasts, and gluttons. Now I also ask you a question. You're Titus. How would you like to pastor a group of people like that? I have no clue what he's talking about because I can't relate to that. In all honesty, I can't. But can I ask you a question? How would he relate to those people? How would he go about doing what Paul instructed him to do? How would he, uh, how would he go and set that in order? And further yet, how is he to appoint leaders, godly leaders in the church? And you think about that, I want you to think about that, because as you read this letter, I want you to read as if you're hearing what Titus is hearing. And Titus knows Crete's a strategic place for the gospel. It was a port, there were many ports in Crete, and so, I mean, really, when you're a church planner, what better strategy, what better place could you look to to, to see the gospel uh, rooted in this place where all of this trade and things were going out and coming through it, and, and it was like this marketplace of a hub uh, man, what a, what a strategic place it could be for the gospel. I'm sure uh, Titus and Paul talked about that on a number of occasions. But I want you to think about Titus, this young pastor and what he's being called to do. And Paul is concerned that Titus would help the churches there in Crete be a portrait of a healthy church. That he would teach, the Bible says, what accords with sound doctrine. I wonder, have you ever thought about what a pastor is to do? Pastors aren't there to entertain people. Uh, pastors aren't there to, to grow churches. Pastors aren't there to build a crowd. Uh, Paul says pastors are there to teach. Titus is first and foremost to be a pastor teacher. And so I want you to imagine, I don't know where Titus was when he received this letter, but 
I just want you to imagine you're in his living room and he hears a dear friend of his that sent him a letter and he, he receives it and he reads it. And um, as I was preparing this week, one of the commentators I came across stated it this way. I think it's so helpful. They said, the clear message of Titus often drifts into obscurity because it is not read in its entirety. And this morning, I want us to do that. Uh, the message this morning is Titus. I want you to listen. I want you to now I'll pray, and after I pray, we'll jump right in to reading it. You're welcome, of course, to follow along in your own Bible, but I think it would hit you more if you didn't read along, if you just simply listen. Maybe you need to focus your eyes on something, maybe the cross or something to where you can just take in what you're reading. Maybe you need to close your eyes, don't fall asleep, but maybe you just need to, you know, you need to hear it because I, I think when we hear the word of God read over us, there's, uh, there's something really powerful. There's something that we see. We, 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 we're going to parse this out over the next number of weeks as a church, but man, there's, there's something about uh, hearing the whole message in its entirety. So let me pray and then we'll hear from Titus. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to open it. We're thankful, Lord, for the privilege to hear it. And we know that God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we ask this morning is, Lord, I open this book that, Father, we as your people would hear your voice. Lord, we know and we affirm that, God, when your word is open, your voice is heard. So we pray this morning that your spirit would speak to hearts as we hear this challenge, Lord, and we think about a young pastor and all the challenges he was facing in that day. But Lord, now as we think about it in our own context, as we think about, Lord, the needs in our world today, the needs in this church, Lord, we pray that what we hear this morning from Titus is what we need. And Lord, it would be a great help and encouragement to us in these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put in order what remained and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching what is shameful gain, what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth, 
To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech, that it cannot be condemned so that, an opponent may not, so that an opponent may be put to shame. Have nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient and led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasure, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. And as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. And when I send Artemis and Tentacus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicropolis, for I have decided to spend the winter here. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help 
cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greeting to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. I wonder how often did we read in that letter Paul describing the good works that should characterize this new group of people. They had been transformed by grace and their lives bared witness to the reality of that. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. I'm excited to jump into this book over the next number of weeks as together we're going to consider what Paul has for us and the Bible shares. But I wonder this morning, where are you? As what Paul instructed Titus with, that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. This morning, have you responded to that good news? This morning, have you received the grace that can be yours in Jesus? And if you haven't, can I tell you this morning could be that for you? This morning could be the day of salvation for you. You say, man, how does that happen? What does that look like? The Bible says that all of us are slaves to sin. We're born into this world and our sin nature that we're born with corrupts every part of us so that, so that as we look out on the landscape of our life, everything in our life has been tainted by sin. And, and the Bible says that because of our sin, we've fallen short of God's glory. But the grace of God and the good news of the gospel is that he sent his son to come into this world to identify with us so that he might go to a cruel cross and our sins might be placed on him. And he pays the price that you and I deserve. A separation from God. In exchange, he gives us his righteousness. That's why Paul said, the grace of God has appeared. It appeared in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's appeared in this person. And yet, there's something you must do. You must receive it into your life. You see, you're never going to be a model or a portrait of a person that displays the good works in your life if there's never, ever been a change inside of you. And this morning, you could simply respond to the grace that God is making available. What does that look like? The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. This morning, God's grace is more than sufficient. It's more than sufficient. And the reality this morning in this room is I don't know your story or what happened this week, but all of us when we came in this room this morning, do you know the reality is that all of us are in need of God's grace? I love how Jerry Bridges put it. He says, there's not a person in the world that is beyond the reach of God's grace, and there is no person that is so good that they're beyond the need of God's grace. The reality is this morning, we're all in need of his grace. And the good news is he's made it available. And the great news is he wants you to become a person who is zealous for good works. How many times in the letter to Titus did Paul talk about this new Cretan community looking a new way? I believe the most powerful thing in our world today is for the world to see Christians who look like Christians. So this year and as we're taking steps as a church to grow in what it looks like in church health, we're only as healthy as a church as kind of we are healthy individually that makes up the unity of this church. 
And I want you to think about your life today. What are the good works that God's prepared for you to do? What are are the ways that, that God is still using the gospel applied into your life every day to change you to become more like him? And how are you taking this year an active step in your journey to grow closer to him? You think, I think some of us, we go through the Christian life and we go through, you know, all the motions and we just sometimes think we're going to drift to godliness. No one ever drifts to godliness. That's why Paul talked about having leaders that are disciplined. (laughs) That's why he's talking about devoting himself because these things just don't come naturally. But I wonder, as you heard that this morning read for us, are you willing to let the Lord do that in your life? these next number of weeks? Are you willing to admit that you're still in need of God's grace? You're still in need of God transforming you and and by his grace, you are willing to devote yourself to be disciplined to growing this year in your spiritual life. That's my prayer for you. I hope that's our prayer as a church, that God would grow us deeper this year, that we would be a portrait of a healthy church. Would you bow your head with me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for how it speaks to our heart. Lord, we know this morning that you are speaking to individuals. And Lord, I thank you for how you are speaking. And I pray, Lord, this morning, we would all be challenged with where we are in our own spiritual progress. Lord, maybe we have found our place that we are complacent Maybe we've allowed some teaching that is not of you that has infiltrated our life and Lord, it's dominated our thinking and we've, we've found ourselves in a place where we're no longer doing what your word says, we're doing what we want or what someone else wants. And Lord, in the middle of all that, we know your spirit can cut through it and Lord, bring conviction. Lord, that you, the, your word penetrates deep into our souls and Lord, this morning we believe that your spirit is working in our lives. It's speaking to each of us individually as we heard the word read to us this morning. Lord, now we ask that you would help us to identify a next step. We pray that you'd help us to identify, Lord, where it is in this season, these next number of months, that Lord, you want us to take a personal step in growing to devoting ourselves to good works. Lord, we don't even know what you could do through it, but we pray you would do something supernatural in this church in the next number of weeks for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said?